Another wild week in financial markets, cryptos, they hit a wall, massive volatility in Bitcoin, and gold gained. Welcome to Kiko Roundtable. This week, I'm your host, Niels Christensen. Riding shotgun with me is uh, uh, Kiko correspondent, Paul Harris. Paul? Hello. Joining us this week is David Irvley, founder of Junior Miner Junkie. I've, really, I've been really looking forward to this conversation. David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having Welcome me on, Welcome back to the show, actually. You've been, you've been a previous guest before. That's right. Thanks for having me on again, Niels. I appreciate it. Great to see you, Paul. <laughs> Likewise, David. Um, so before we get into everything that's happened, um, David, maybe just quickly talk about uh, your experience. I mean, you are a, a, a well-respected uh, investor in the uh, the mining sector. You started up uh, uh, JuniorMinerJunkie.com. Uh, just really quickly, tell us uh, what what your website is and what you're doing. Oh, sure. Yeah, um, I started the the the, uh, the website and the subscription service in April of 2017, as the bull market uh, in gold was just getting started. And um, I started it because uh, basically I I I'd already started writing a weekly column for Kitco a few months previous. Well, no, a year previous, and I was getting all these emails from people saying, you know, you should. You should start a subscription service. I would subscribe. So, so I did all this research, and um, you know, when I got started in the in the sector back in 2013, I subscribed to a lot of newsletters, and uh, some of them were great, some of them were not so great. So I kind of took uh, took the good parts and put them in my newsletter and avoided the bad parts. And it's kind of a different newsletter. Basically, what I do is I, I have a uh, what I do is I give uh, subscribers access. To my uh, roughly million dollar portfolio trading what I trade uh, when I buy when I sell I give them the alert uh, ahead of time so I do this extensive well-researched report before I buy something and send it out to my subscribers and then we all kind of try to, to, to get in at the same time so um, it's, it's worked out really good I have a great subscriber base and um, I, it's basically thanks to Kitco for giving me the opportunity to write this column to get me started in, in this sector. You're, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm really looking forward to this, this conversation though, because like I said, um, I think, you know, gold prices were starting to move and we had a really slow start to the year. Um, the mining sector, mining, the mining sector was just, was really, really, um, boring compared to other sectors. And and I think that's starting to change. Um, you know, we've gold has managed to get back above its 200 day moving average. Um, yeah, the, the, the majors are, are all cashed up. And, you know, I think, you know, we're, we're slowly moving through this, this COVID pandemic. And I think some, some really exciting times are, are ahead for, especially the junior resource sector. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, and to, to reiterate, uh, I mean, to, to add on to what you're saying, um, uh, basically at the beginning of the year, the gold price started to break out from its downtrend and the very first week. And we had that uh, that that huge reversal. And it was basically uh, an, an island reversal that took place on, on the shares and investors hopes were dashed again. Um, you know, the, 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 the tax loss selling created all these opportunities and these juniors, people were excited again, gold's really running. It looks, looks like it's going to break out and start, start going up again. And it just needed more time to consolidate. I mean, the price had run up so far, so fast. 
And in hindsight, it's healthy that it took place because basically the gold price uh, ha- had a 20% correction. And um, it's just this week broken out of that 10 month downtrend, as you mentioned, you know, uh, uh, in that uh, 1850 area, which was also the 200 day moving average. We've had a weekly close above there now, above that downtrend line. So it didn't reverse this time after it did a couple times previous during this 10-month downtrend. So, um, And also the juniors have begun to outperform the, the majors as soon as the gold price got over 18, 1850. So uh, it's starting to get exciting again here in the, in the junior sector. Mm-hmm. Well, and not only that, not only you know were we able to hold 1850 announced this week, um, but we did it when we saw massive inflation. I mean, CPI was was you know off the charts. Um, we had you know the Fed minutes, uh, basically the committee coming out and saying we're now going to start talking about talking about <laughs> tapering, um, and you know and we saw we saw gold fall on that. You know, like I mean, higher interest rates is a, a difficult environment uh, for gold. But it was just it was really interesting to see how you know we really didn't even test 1850 on that sell-off and you know you know we we managed to bounce back um and i think a lot of it has to do with uh inflation uh real interest rates i think that's a big one but i think a lot of people um well i don't want to say underestimated but i mean like everybody was sort of talking about um, the impact cryptocurrencies was having on the gold price. You know, like people were were getting getting out of gold and getting into Bitcoin. Um, I, I, it's not that I didn't believe them. I just I didn't realize the scale until you know we saw this week where you know Bitcoin collapsed. Uh, it actually fell uh, nearly fifty percent from its all time highs just last month. Um, and you just you saw this volatility. You know, a tweet comes out from Elon Musk. And, you know, Bitcoin is going up or down thousands and thousands of dollars. I think, you know, the, this this volatility was a little bit too much to, to stomach for some investors. And, you know, I think gold just look, you know, especially in an, in an inflationary environment, gold just looks really, really good. Absolutely. And I think it's very fitting that the catalyst to break the, the gold price of above its 200-day moving average again and above that downtrend line was the crypto market falling apart. Um, you know, uh, as far as, and, and then you had the Federal Reserve come out and put more restrictions on it and that weird little video that they put out uh, yesterday. And, uh, you know, they've been talking about restrictions anyway. You know, Gary Gensler came out last week and basically said, hey, look, this is a, this is a highly speculative and risky market. You know, they were priming they're priming the market for, hey, we're going to start to 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 pay attention to this. And um, sorry, but, uh, you know, these the, all these these, you know, the Federal Reserve now is getting closer to a to to a digital currency. China's already rolled out its digital currency. All these all these uh, major uh, currencies are trying to go digital and they're not going to want competition from cryptocurrencies. So um, I think you're going to start to see more and more rhetoric from these countries that, hey, um, these these cryptocurrencies um, are risky, and uh, they're going to warn their warn their 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 citizens and investors uh, about them. So, well, 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 playing devil's advocate, a question I have: you know, gold is an investment asset. It's got a long, long history. You've got a lot of professional technical analysis there. You know, cryptocurrency, you know, I would say isn't an investable asset, but you, you 
do you get professional investors in it? You get speculators, yeah, but it's it is a throw of the dice because it's up ten thousand dollars one day, down ten thousand dollars another way. There's a lack of history, so you cannot do the same sort of a analysis to make a, a considered investment. It really, or am I wrong? Is it just a throw of the dice? No, absolutely. I mean, if you take, you know, usually when a bubble burst, and let's say, you know, let, let's let's uh, be honest here, you know, cryptocurrencies are in a bubble, and you know, Bitcoin went from less than a thousand dollars in 2017 to sixty five thousand dollars just four years later. Um, you know, when whenever whenever the bubbles pop, they they usually go down to their fundamental inherent value after they pop. But what is a fundamental value of a Bitcoin? Do we even know? Um, exactly. So, <laughs> so who knows where this is going to end and how I it's going to end? But is that gonna, really, I think it's going to hurt a lot of people. Is, is crypto really just like a momentum trade? Then you know, people see it going up. People hear a lot of noise. Say, oh, I'll get in quickly. While and hey, look, suddenly I'm up twenty thousand <laughs> percent. Well, exactly. I think I think this was the problem too. Is that you know, like some some big players tried to make it more than that you know like i mean elon musk comes out and says hey you know we're buying uh 1.5 billion uh bitcoins um you know we're you know we we see this as a new inflation uh hedge against the u.s dollar um he makes you know what 110 million dollars on that trade and then all of a sudden he's now aware of the environmental impact of bitcoin and exactly. so he and, flips and then two he comes, months later well, yeah <laughs> and then and then he comes out hey we sold we we didn't sell we're holding we're gonna like it's it, the problem that i have with bitcoin is that there are absolutely no regulations anybody can say whatever they want exactly and there's no real repercussions i mean when dogecoin can rally six hundred six six thousand percent um, or something ridiculous about like that. Right. Um, and at least Bitcoin just, is limited. Dogecoin, they make as many as they want. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that part of the very definition of inflation, though? You know, something goes from having very little value to having suddenly massive value. If people, you know, take that out as cash or whatever, they'll buy Teslas, then that's inflationary as well. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think – Here's my take on it. I mean, I think these governments go ahead. They went ahead and let these cryptocurrencies run and let let them get really popular. Let everybody get into them because they want people to get used to, to digital currencies because that's what they're trying to do themselves. Right. I mean, you, you talk to any of these young people, you know, they don't use cash anymore. You know, they, they they just use their their digital wallets. They don't carry around cash. That's what the Fed wants you to do. They want everybody to get used to not using paper money. So instead of so instead of fiat paper money, now we're gonna have fiat ones and zeros in a in a in a bank account that that, that will we'll have no control over whatsoever. So and that's yeah. I, I actually completely agree with you, David. And one of the things that I've heard is that, you know, once we get to this, you know, these ones and zeros um, the sky's the limit for for what the Fed can do when it when it well, what central banks can do when it comes to printing. You know this whole this whole digitization of of the currency market is yeah it's I, I yeah it's it's there's there's going to be I don't want to say no oversight but it's just it's hard to see where this goes. I mean once we once uh, central banks enter this digital realm. Um, you know, there's mm -hmm. the, the, the traditional methods of tracking uh, uh, 
uh, um, uh, M2 money supply or whatever just completely goes out the window, I think. Well, I think with, you know, with, with yeah. physical dollar bills, there is an actual physical cost to producing, storing, and distributing them. And um, if you remove that cost, then... Oh, and yeah, it transmits disease, too. <laughs> <laughs> paper money transmits viruses and disease. Don't We don't want paper money. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> we want copper money. <laughs> yeah. Everything in right. sense. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll take gold and silver. I'll 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 chance the I'll chance the bacteria and viruses on. Well, uh, silver's antibacterial. Well, silver, yeah. gold. I yeah. don't think gold is yeah. gold antibacterial. No, gold is not, but silver is. Yeah, yeah. silver and copper. Yeah. So, but if somebody, yeah, if somebody, if somebody hands me a, a gold bullion coin, I'll I'll take the risk. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm with you on that. Um, so okay, so um, well, David, I mean, what do you, what do you think? I mean, do you think we hit um, two thousand dollars an ounce again for for gold? I mean, is this is this just the start of the rally? Um, you know, what, what what if the Fed does start talking about about tapering? Is that the big headwind? How do you? Think I don't think so. Out? I think I I think um, basically you got an idea of what of what the gold price is going to do when that does take place, if it, if it does take place. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the risk is definitely to the upside now. Um, you know, um, gold has, has followed these technical, this technical pattern very well. You know, we, we saw, we saw, we saw from the 1045 low in 2016, the gold price virtually doubled in four years. It went from 1045 to 2089, right? And then the 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 uh, the three eight two Fibonacci replace retracement from that level was sixteen ninety. It double bottomed at sixteen seventy five. And if you if you pull back all the way back to May of twenty nineteen, that downtrend line has been has been has been tested a few times. And the uptrend and the the, the I mean the uptrend line has been tested a few times. And then the downtrend line from that twenty eighty nine, it's formed this huge pennant. And it's breaking out of that pennant right now. So, I, I, you know, gold usually adheres to technicals very well. And I, 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 I'm, I'm pretty confident in saying that um, the bottom is in here for this correction. So was that, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more. First, let's cover the uh, the junior mining space. Those are big words. I'm holding you. I'm, I know. I know. I'm probably going to come back <laughs> to This is recorded because... for posterity. This is, you know. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, let's let's look at the junior news. Uh, Paul, what was the uh, the big headline for uh, for this week? Yeah, let's talk some companies. Um, for, for me, one of the most interesting uh, news announcements this week was diversified miner Rio Tinto making a twenty five point six million Canadian dollar strategic investment in Western copper and gold um, to help advance the Casino Copper Gold project in Yukon, Canada. Um, Rio agreed to purchase 11.8 million shares in the junior at a 15% premium to take an 8% uh, stake in the company. Um, Western is going to use the, the proceeds to help fund a feasibility study and permitting work at Casino. Um, interesting in this, I think uh, the, the investment will allow Rio um, participation in the technical committee, secondees to the project. So they'll really be able to sort of ramp up their level of knowledge and understanding of the project um, and the re regulatory procedures and the, the relationships with First Nations. Um, 
ultimately possibly with a view to taking out the company. Um, Western Copper, as I mentioned, is uh, looking to complete a feasibility study towards the end of the year. In 2013, they produced a feasibility study which detailed a 22-year operation to produce some 400,000 ounces a year of gold, 245 million pounds of copper, 15 million pounds of molybdenum, and 1.8 million ounces of silver um, with a, a capex of $2.5 billion. So um, good news there for Western Copper and Gold. Yeah, I was actually kind of wondering when the copper prices would, would filter down to that project and, and, and really uh, bring renewed interest for that project. It's, it's been a long time coming for, uh, for the team and for uh, Paul Westell's. Well, I think one of the, you know, perhaps some of the, the subtext to that, obviously Canada, Yukon, tier one jurisdiction where you've got a, a relatively um, secure understanding of what the permitting process is and what the permitting timelines are. Um, the place where for the last couple of decades companies have looked to develop copper projects is in Latin America, uh, Peru and Chile specifically, and both of those are gripped by you know political uncertainty at the moment. So um, if you want to drop a, a couple of billion dollars to build a project, um, companies are looking at what would be more secure and safer jurisdictions. And not only that, they weren't the. They're not. Uh, Rio is not the only company that's looking in uh, northern Canada today. Uh, Encounter Resources said that BHP, another major uh, base metals producer, had entered into a uh, farming joint venture agreement with the company for their Elliott uh, uh, Copper project in the north uh, northern territory. Uh, BPH, BH, sorry, BHP uh, can spend up to. Uh, 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 22 million um, Australian dollars over the next 10 years for a 75% interest in uh, in the project. So I think this is this is really interesting. I mean, do you think Canada becomes the next copper play? Well, I think um, in, in the context of our, what we're talking about, you know, boring is what miners want. They don't want the excitement that comes with the, you know, the, the you know, riskier political situations or, or jurisdictions. So, you know, Canada being straight and steady and legal rule of law, that's very attractive. We'll, we'll get into the, uh, into uh, another place that isn't very attractive right now, but uh, what else are you looking at in the uh, junior mining space? Uh, what's going well, on with First Majestic? Yeah, um, similar thing. Uh, it, Recent weeks have seen a, a slew of bigger companies taking strategic investments in smaller companies. And First Majestic uh, has just obtained, invested $3.25 million Canadian dollars in uh, Silver Explorer BlackRock Silver, <clears throat> excuse me, which has uh, the Tonopah, uh, Tonopah West uh, Silver Project in the Walker Lane District of Nevada, USA. And, and again, you've got the, the, the two themes there, big companies investing in smaller companies, but also moving into safer jurisdiction. First Majestic has um, produces precious metals in Mexico. Um, it's been making a conscious shift uh, diversification into Nevada. Um, BlackRock Silver is obviously the latest one of those. But uh, in March, um, First Majestic agreed to buy the Jarrett Canyon operation from Sprott Mining for $470 million in stock. Um, so, you know, convergence of a couple of trends there with First Majestic. And, uh, David, I think you called buy on BlackRock this week. So uh, what, what, what do you like there? 
Yeah. I mean, I was fortunate enough to get into the private placement. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've been following it for a while. You know, the stock ran from seven cents in the, in uh, the March panic low of, of 2020 to $1.61, like five months later, you know, with the sector on, they, they had some really uh, fortunate um, um, new, news happen while that was, was taking place. Um, you know, right before, um, you know, we were walking around uh, all tepid in, in March during PDAC, wondering what when the next shoe was going to drop. They picked up that Tonopah West property for really cheap and they picked it up at just the right time. And then the stock started to move up with the sector. And then their first drill results, they hit Bonanza grade and that took the stock to a dollar 61. So I've been watching it consolidate, waiting to get into a, waiting for, for a perfect entry point. You know, I mean, it's, that's, that's the story of, of, of our lives here as, as speculators in these things, you know, we see these things run up and we really like them. We know not to chase them, we wait till the till the froth comes off and wait for the opportune time to get in. Well, there was a, a weekly gap on it that I was hoping it was going to fill. It came down and tested the top of that gap a couple times. And um, as this resource nationalism that Paul referred to that started to take place here in, in Peru and then has now morphed into Chile, um, I figured, you know, these these investors and these companies are going to start looking at, at, at these at these high margin projects in tier one jurisdictions in North America. They're going to start to be more attractive. So um, I, I, I did a conference call with Andrew, um, Andrew Pollard, the, the, the CEO, uh, a month ago, and I was just waiting for a better opportunity to get shares. It didn't happen. This private placement came up. So I went, you know what? Okay, get me into this, and they and he was able to, and um, I really like this story. Yeah, it's they, they've they've actually got two projects. Their their Silver Cloud project looks interesting too in the same area. They're both di- district scale. They're both in the number one Fraser Institute jurisdiction in the world, which is Nevada. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if they spun out Silver Cloud eventually. They are discussing it, but yeah, this one looks really good. Um. Also, Corvus, uh, they continue to see positive drill results. Well, yes, and uh, again, continuing the tree, the, the theme, staying in Nevada. Um, recently, Corvus received, um, a, I think it was a $20 million loan from Aglagold Ashanti. So, again, a major investing in a junior, getting a good foot in the door. Um, this, this past week, Corvus Gold reported additional drilling results from its mother load and Linda Strip Oxide Gold projects in Nevada um, as it works towards uh, producing new and updated mineral resource estimates on them later this year. At Linda Strip, immediately south of Vangler Gold Ashanti's silicon project, uh, drilling continued to return thick intercepts with highlights including 185.4 meters grading 0.82 grams per tonne gold. Um, and further south at Mother Load, which is in proximity to Core Mining Sterling Project, Drilling, uh, again, continues to deliver good uh, good intercepts with highlights, including 26.7 metres, grading 2.57 grams per tonne gold and a bit of silver thrown in as well. So um, Corvus continuing to hit it with the, the drill uh, and getting good results. So uh, I, d- I don't think it would surprise anybody if uh, Angler Gold Ashanti came through with an offer for the company at some point in the near future. This I think this is really interesting. So we we saw this trend, um, you know, during the the, the, the the tough times, you know, like where where uh, seniors would put in money into juniors. 
Um, I'm really surprised we're seeing that and we're not seeing actual buyouts. I mean, we're not seeing, you know, mergers and acquisitions. Um, David, you know, do you want to shed some light on, on this theme that we're seeing? Like, you know, sort of uh, invest uh, bigger companies taking sort of the, this piecemeal approach. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense because I mean, look, look how much they got burned at the the top of the last market, 2010 and 2011. They were, they were focused on growth at any price. They concentrated on low grade bulk tonnage projects that that just wanted to put ounces on the books because they figured the gold would would continue to go higher. And uh, they ended up having to write them down and, and they, and they did it all with dilution with their shares. And um, so now they're, they've learned the lessons from all those mistakes. And they've all, what they've been doing recently was is they've been costs have been contained because companies are more focused on operational efficiency and they've been less obsessed with growth. Well, now the gold price is starting to go up again. They're going to have to start thinking about growth again to replace these ounces. So I think the M&A. I think the, the, the M&A activity is set to increase here pretty soon. It, it hasn't increased before because of COVID restrictions. You know, they haven't been able to, to visit mm-hmm. these projects. You know, in order to sign off on, a, on an acquisition, they got to visit projects. Not only do they have to, they have to visit projects for that reason, but they, they need to know more about the projects. They haven't been able to do it. So um, I think once these COVID restrictions loosen up more and they're able to visit these projects, that'll be another catalyst for the M&A sector to heat up again. Um, and Paul, uh, Northwest doubled its resource in uh, Stardust. Yes, uh, Northwest Copper updated its mineral resource for Stardust, which is a copper gold silver deposit in British Columbia and Canada. Um, and they doubled the tonnage of their indicated and inferred resources. So now the deposit has an indicated resource of 1.96 million tonnes, grading 1.31% copper um, with some gold and silver in there as well for uh, a copper equivalent grade of 2.59% um, and uh, inferred resources as well. So we're starting to see um, a lot of copper explorers starting to come out with maiden resources or updating resources because uh, their time in the sun is coming as well for, for similar reasons that David just mentioned related to gold companies. So, and now let's look at uh, senior producers as we were talking earlier. Uh, nationalization of uh, 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 projects. I think this is the, the big one that, that hit the, the headlines this week. Sentara Gold said they lost control of their Kumtor mine. So the Kazakhstan government basically took over the mine. Um, and this is part of this ongoing process. Uh, earlier in the year, they find they found they they find uh, Sentara Gold, uh, what, uh, three point three point one billion dollars for uh, uh, breaching environmental laws. But I think this is this really shows. I mean, it's location, location, location. Uh, and then First Quantum shed 30% of their nickel operation to pay down their debt. First Quantum, they sold uh, a 30% uh, equity interest in Raventhorpe nickel operation in Western Australia for $240 million to POSCO, one of the world's largest steel producers. First Quantum is a leading uh, copper producer, and they're really enjoying uh, the, high, uh, the high metal prices right now. We saw... Re- Copper prices trading at record highs. They reported uh, for the first quarter uh, profits of $540 million and EBITDA of uh, $811 million. So, um, yeah, it's interesting that that they're they're paying with all this cash. They're still paying down debt. So I think this um, illustrates um, 
a key trend at the moment among the, the larger companies, particularly the diversified. We're seeing a lot of um, portfolio adjustments. Let's give them a broad label of portfolio adjustments, um, which is you know looking to pay down debt, improve balance street strength, um, reduce political risk, reduce CO2 profile across the, the company, um, and really sort of positioning themselves for um the perceived new super cycle that's really getting underway. So they're sort of building cash because a lot of them know they're going to have to do transactions at some point to have the, the asset portfolios that they want, whether that's to replace pounds or ounces or to be able to grow the pounds or ounces or to be able to get uh, access to the minerals that they want in their portfolios going forward. Um, some things are really sort of going out of fashion. Um, the G7 today, the G7 governments basically agreed to not invest more in, in coal assets or, or the coal industry. So you've got these big signals coming from the highest political levels. The, the diversified miners are really taking this on board, adjusting their portfolios. Everybody's going to be jostling for, for more copper, more nickel, more things that are, are going to be useful for the electrification and decarbonisation of the global economy. So um, I think you know we're in an interesting time and uh, we're only just getting started. Well, I, and I, it's interesting. I mean, I did read a report from Woodmac this week saying that, you know, I mean, we do have to be careful. Um, you know, higher copper prices isn't necessarily good for the market in that um, there is there could be some substitution. I mean, last time we saw and they noted that the last time we saw uh, record high copper prices, um, it destroyed the market for years and it ended up becoming oversupplied. And and I'm sort of wondering, I mean, do you think we, we run into that situation or, or is this is this time different? Yes, I think it is, because. Last time, you know, the last super cycle 10 or 15 years ago, there were other projects you could bring on stream and that they contributed to an eventual oversupply situation. Um, it's very difficult to make that case this time because there hasn't been the investment in exploration or development over the last 10 years. There aren't a whole bunch of projects sitting there just waiting for cash to be developed. So it's very difficult to see a, an oversupply situation developing because there's physically not the projects to do that. Um, and I think, you know, some people are talking about, you know, the higher <clears throat> the copper price goes, the more likely substitution is with uh, things like aluminium, for example. But <clears throat> aluminium is a worse conductor. And, you know, as previous commodity cycles have shown, when the copper price goes up, the aluminium price to go, tends to go up as well uh, for similar or different reasons. And so it's not necessarily going to be the case that uh, you're going to be able to substitute expensive copper because aluminium is going to be expensive as well and in addition to being um, a, a worse performing metal so Woodmac did actually say that was probably one of the saving graces for copper is that aluminum price i mean aluminum they're, they're still a ways away from their record highs but i mean they're still trading at at multi-year highs and and the rally that we, you could pretty much substitute copper and aluminum for, for the rallies that we're seeing. Like this is, they've both seen unprecedented movement this year. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think a lot of commentators view the general outlook as we're only just getting started. Mm -hmm. um, and so in final news, uh, Rio Tinto uh, unveiled their final showcase for their rare Argyle pink, red, and blue diamonds from its uh, iconic mine in the East Kimberley region of Western Australia. Uh, they ceased operations of this mine in November of last year, and uh, this is going to be their, their final tender for these rare diamonds. Um, it's, it's always interesting, the diamond market. 
I don't know. I don't know enough about it, but it's interesting. Neither do I. Me neither. <laughs> Beyond my pay grade. We can swipe left on that on diamonds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, That's why you heard crickets so after you said it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's 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 pick it up with let's pick it up with with junior miners. Something that we all like to talk about. Um, you're talking about you're talking about uh, uh, mergers, uh, David. Uh, just moments ago. Um, is is like? Do you think though that we fall into the trap? I mean, miners, just the you know the, the producers sitting on bags and bags and bags of cash right now. Margins are the healthiest they've ever been. Um, and I'm just sort of wondering. I mean, do you know like do do juniors know this? I mean, are juniors going to accept a, a no premium bid on on their projects? Well, I think uh, what's going to what you're going to see and what you've already seen this cycle is all cash deals you know because these these companies have already taken strategic placements they're doing it right this time they're taking strategic places they take a chunk right with the possibility of taking the rest of it out later and they do it with cash i mean the last time they did like i said they did it with shares and um they ended up having to write down the project when the when the, when the gold price turned south on them so um i think you're going to see more cash deals and as 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 a speculator, I love cash deals because it's an instant payday. You know, I, I, I've got no interest in, in owning shares of a major. And when a major takes out, we just had it recently take place with um, Newmont taking out GT Gold. I mean, Newmont's got over $5 billion on the books. And they took them out for $380 million of what they didn't know. That's lunch money to them. So um, that's an instant payday for me. If I'm a GT Gold shareholder, I'm saying thank you very much. I'm banking the profit. And I'm going to reinvest the investment capital into another junior that I think is close to being taken out. I've got a, I've got a short list that I'm invested in of companies that I think that are going to be taken out in the next 12 to 18 months. Companies that are close or at the, the, the feasibility stage or are shovel ready. So um, I, I, I think it's really going to have to start to take place because, because these investors are going to start clamoring for more ounces on the books. And I'd agree. I mean, ultimately, that's the incentive for junior explorers and the people who invest in junior explorers. You want that cash takeout. Right. And you know it's going to come because a mine is a depleting asset, you know, whether it's five years, 10 years, 20 years, it, it's, it's gone. It's got a limited history. And there's no history of companies sitting on a pile of cash just saying, well, we're done, give all the money back to shareholders and we're going to disappear. No, they, they Rightly or wrongly, they end up buying into other assets. Well, what do you what do you think about a, a junior that wants to go all the way, that wants to you know that take on the production risk and, and actually start a mine? I mean, do you do you think that happens in this environment, or are, is it just about the payday? Now, is it is this only a, a an environment for for the big dogs like Barrick and, and Newmont and Agnico? Well, we've already seen it take place. I mean, we've seen Pure Gold go ahead and go into production. They've had some hiccups. You know, their head grade wasn't was wasn't as high as they expected. But as a junior, you have to you have to go. You have to basically manage your company like you're going to build this mine and you're going to start to operate it. You don't you don't run a company just waiting for a for a major to come to to to, to come around and take it out. You know, um, you, that that's what you do. And uh, some of these, you know, some of these management teams are doing that and they're and they're doing a great job of it. 
Um, I'm a big shareholder of Marathon Gold. I've been in the company for quite a while. And the share price is trading above its August high. It's bifurcated from the sector. Um, the, the management team is doing a great job of de-risking the project. Um, I think it's still very undervalued. And um, they're basically going through the motions of, hey, we're, we're going to build this mine ourselves. I, I do think you can distinguish, though, between the companies that really, really legitimately want to become producers. Um, I'm thinking here of companies like you've got Artemis Gold. Um, they bought an asset. Mm -hmm. They've just raised, what is it, $100, $165 million mm -hmm. to help build that. Uh, Equinox Gold going back a few years very much. We're gonna we're gonna become a producer because they see if they put it together, if it works, the multiple, you know, they can become a billion dollar company. Um, but you have other juniors that have to, I suppose you could say, play the game and, and do the fake that we are gonna, you know, we're gonna produce, yeah, but we're really waiting for the offer. Um, with, with all due respect, Corvus Gold, who we spoke to earlier, is one of those. You know, the company's throughout its history has made very yeah. clear that its ultimate strategy is to be bought out. It was only a, a year or so ago where it had to start thinking about putting itself, putting its assets into production because an offer hadn't materialized. Um, so it mm -hmm. started putting economic studies in place and things like that to say, okay, if we're going to produce, here's how we're going to do it. Well, and that was also a, another company, Western Copper. I mean, you know, I mean, but their CapEx was so, so big that, um, you know, they, they needed, I mean, they were, they were actively a few years ago, they were actively shopping for uh, some, to, to somebody to buy them out or, or a strategic well, partnership, this is partnership something a, like that. Um, a good question for David. I mean, you know, the, the, the capex of a company of a junior and the capex, I mean, some people say that, you know, if the, the capex is more than double the market cap, forget it, the junior is not going to be able to raise the money to do that. What sort of rule of thumb mm -hmm. do you use when you see a situation like that, David? Uh, you focus on the management team. Have they done this before? Do they have the access to capital? You know, when they did it before, did they, did they do all the right things leading up to it? You know, you, you, you just you want to be sure to invest in these companies that have serially successful management teams that have done these things in the past successfully. Um, when, when you do that, you usually have a, I mean, you mentioned Artemis Gold. I mean, Stephen Dean just did it and made me a very happy Atlantic Gold shareholder when they sold out to, to Santa Barbara. And uh, he's, it looks like he's going to do it again with Artemis and Blackwater. So that's what you do. You look at these, you look at these guys that have been serially successful and really know what they're doing. They have the access to capital. Well, and that actually was another question I really wanted to ask you, you know, like how do you, how do they, we all know this is a huge sector um, you know, it needs, it needs consolidation, but how do you, how do you pick the winners? Like, you know, what do you look for? I mean, is it obviously management team? Um, like we said, you know, region is uh, an important scope. Um, what do you like, what do you look for when you, when you placing your money uh, into a company? Well, the first thing is, is the management team, you know, and the second thing is the project. Is it district scale? Is it huge? Is it in a top tier jurisdiction? You know, it's basically go big or go home. You know, I, I put my I basically put my major CEO hat on. If I was a if I was a CEO of a major and I'm looking to replace my ounces, what am I going to look for? I'm going to look for high margin projects in top tier jurisdictions that are huge with blue sky potential. And as an investor, you want to make sure you have the proper management team that can do that. And also, also you want to take a good look at the share structure, you know, because if the, if the share structure is blown out, then that's going to limit your upside. 
Um, so, you know, there's a lot of these things you have to take into consideration and you definitely have to have to you have to um, manage your risk in your portfolio as well. You know, you have to don't put everything in one jurisdiction, even the, even though it's a top tier jurisdiction, anything can happen at any time. So um, you just you you want to you, you want to you, you make sure that um, you have diversified jurisdictional risk as well. And I, and I think to recap something you mentioned earlier in the conversation, David, identifying a, the potential winners is one thing, and but buying right is something else. What you know, exactly. perhaps having to wait to get the entry price, having the patience right. to wait to get the. the an entry price that will make it work rather than perhaps just rushing and jumping in because you think it's good. Exactly. I spent half my time just looking at charts. You know, I mean, I, I'm looking at charts constantly. You know, I mean, you bring up a, you bring up a name of, of pretty much any company that I follow, the chart comes up in my head. I have a photographic memory that way. So, I mean, I, I, I'm constantly uh, charting these things. And, and but, but don't make no mistake, I don't get too much involved in the technicals either. You know, it's not just technical analysis with these things, and, and especially the micro caps. You know, these technical analysis can, can can stop you from getting into something. So um, I only know basic technical analysis. I don't like to get too wrapped up into it because then I rely on it too much. It's it's just a tool to get me into a stock at, at a at a better entry point. Um, another thing I wanted to ask. I mean, obviously you're heavily in precious metals. Uh, do you like base metals? Like, I mean, you know, we talk about copper, we talk about aluminum, we talk about, you know, uh, uh, maybe not zinc, but you know, uh, tin. Um, you know, are these is the are these sectors that uh, we should be looking at as well? Well, I th- the copper price. You know, what copper's gone from two dollars to almost five dollars in in a, in a year over year. And a lot of these companies have gone up, I mean, an astronomical amount. You know, the time to look at these things was earlier. Um, so I, I think a lot of them, they're, they're going to start to come off a little bit. But if you t- just take a look at the copper-gold ratio, it's screaming right now that you should be looking at gold projects. Um, but absolutely, if a copper co- project comes along that is under the radar, there's not too many left. They're kind of hard to find now. But if something comes up that's under the radar, I'll definitely take a look at it. Yeah, but you know, I'm a I'm I'm a contrarian, and you have to be, especially in this sector, to to make money. Um, so I tar- I try to look at things ahead of t- ahead of time before I think they're going to take off. And um, a lot of cop- most copper plays are overvalued here, and uh, most gold plays are are undervalued. I, th- I think one thing that's interesting there is that um, you know gold and copper often occur together, um, and mm-hmm. the past year or two we've seen some of the big uh, gold companies talking about wanting more exposure to copper. You know, Mark Bristow at Barrett Gold mm-hmm. mentioned this. Uh, I think a couple of years ago, more recently, Tom Palmer at uh, um, Newmont saying, "Hey, we're looking for more copper. We want more copper." Um, so they certainly see a good future for copper as well, and it's a, obviously a natural complement to their main product. Right, the hunt for copper gold porphyries, you know, the huge copper gold porphyries. That's 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 what they want. Um, okay, so uh, this has been a fantastic conversation. Uh, let's move on now to uh, number of the week. David, you're our guest. Uh, please, uh, please go first. Eighteen fifty. That's my number for the week. <laughs> and we discussed earlier why eighteen fifty is my number. Um, you know, um, uh, I because really like the more- fact that it's it's made a weekly close above eighteen fifty and it's back above that two hundred day moving average, which is also at eighteen fifty. T- technically, should it be nineteen hundred? I mean, if we're 
<laughs> well, there's also another number I like. If I if I could have two. 89 in the U.S. dollar. I'm looking at that. Looking at that pretty closely. If we get below 89, I think that's a really good catalyst for, to, to take the precious metals a lot higher. Paul, what's your number? I'm going to go a bit left field this week and not talk about, well, only vaguely talk about the metal space and um, how COVID is uh, forcing companies or helping companies re-envisage their future and their future structure. So my number my numbers this week are related to WeWork's quarterly revenues, which almost halved to uh, from $1.1 billion to, five, well, let's say $600 million uh, as their customers' numbers plunged 30%. So, you know, this, I think, is a portent for the future. Companies are going to downsize their, their physical office space. More people like us are going to be working at home, not going into the office. Um, and this is going to happen with mining companies as well. There are a lot of, um, I think, there are a lot of virtual junior explorers out there at the moment without offices. The executives are working out of their home office. The exploration managers were obviously working in the field and working at home. There's companies without head offices. Um, that's really cool. Uh, I'm, my actually, my number is uh, related to that. So today we had uh, existing home sales. Uh, so my number is uh, the median uh, price for a home is $341,600. Um, and I think to me, this is, we didn't really talk a lot about inflation, but I mean, this is, this is inflation. So that number is the highest that the National Real Estate uh, Association has seen for the median house price. So um, housing prices are going up. You know, I, 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 I would, I would not want to play the commercial side of the real estate market, but yeah, the, the, the residential side, these homes, um, you know, and, and this is inflationary. This is, you know, this, this bodes well for gold, I think. Well, it's a good is, thing. Is that Canada or the U.S.? Sorry, let's try that again, Paul. <laughs> so it was, was that Canada or the U.S., your figure? That was U.S. That was U.S. U.S., yeah. Yeah. And David, sorry, what were you going to say? No, it's just a good thing. Inflation is just transitory. All these prices are going to come back. <laughs> well, yeah, and yeah, housing prices, yo, yeah, they're notoriously volatile. They always go back down. Yeah, that's not transitory whatsoever. Yeah, that's not that's not permanent whatsoever. Um, equity. Yeah. <laughs> Here we come. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, David, thank you very much. Um, we just wanted to thank you and our listeners, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. Um, reach out to us, follow us on Twitter. You can follow me at uh, Niels underscore C. Uh, Paul, where can people reach out to you? I forgot. I think it's CGS 2021 gold. <laughs> okay. Just throw a dart to try to get Paul Harris's uh, uh, Twitter <laughs> handle. Um, David, how can people get, how can people reach out to you? Uh, my website is www.juniorminerjunkie.com. And that's junkie spelled with a, with a Y. And you can find me on Keiko every week on every Friday. <laughs> yeah, actually, I, your column was was very good this week. I, I really Thank you. It's very good every so, week, right? I, well, it is. It is. I just I really like the headline, but I cannot remember it now for the life of me. But it was just like it was really <laughs> oh, good. The, the headline is is uh, the downtrend in gold. It's the downtrend in gold that was transitory. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, so if I you was like going to put eight to Rome in front of it, but I thought, nah, it's a bit too much. <laughs> I gotta I gotta wrap this up. I gotta wrap this up. Okay. If you like what you hear, tell a friend. Uh, don't forget to, to subscribe through iTunes or wherever you hear your podcasts. 
Um, this has been the uh, roundtable on behalf of Paul Harris and David Erfley and myself. Thank you very much, and everybody have a great weekend.